Chinese state-linked hackers making off with $20 million of pandemic relief funds. YouTube accused of moderating content tied to anti-lockdown protests in China. A YouTuber shares his discovery. A mega semiconductor project in the U.S. getting $40 billion from a Taiwanese company. America manufacturing is back, folks. The U.S. may be upping its weapons deal with Taiwan, valued at over $880 million with advanced missiles. And China holding a memorial for former communist leader Jiang Zemin. We look at the details of his time in power. Too simple. Huh? Sometimes naive. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. $20 million in COVID-19 benefits stolen by Chinese hackers. That's according to Washington's Secret Service. Chengdu-based hacking group known as APT41 is reportedly behind the theft. The stolen relief benefits include loans for small businesses, as well as unemployment insurance funds in more than a dozen states. It reportedly began in 2020, involving over 40,000 financial transactions. The Secret Service says it's recovered about half the money. Federal distribution of pandemic aid has seen issues since it began in 2020. According to the Labor Department Office of the Inspector General, over $870 billion in unemployment were paid out improperly by around 20 percent. But experts say that figure could be much greater. Officials also say a major portion of it could have been committed by foreign state-sponsored agents. Though APD-41's theft marks the first time Washington has admitted to foreign theft of pandemic aid. APD-41 is also known by names like Winty, Barium and Wicked Panda. The Secret Service described it as a Chinese state-sponsored cyber threat group that is highly adept at conducting espionage missions and financial crimes for personal gain. Officials believe the group's main objective is to steal personal information on U.S. citizens and businesses and hand it over to Beijing. The Justice Department indicted five members of the hacking group in 2019 and 2020. They were charged with spying on over a hundred companies, like software development companies, telecom providers, social media firms, and video game developers. YouTube appears to be moderating content related to the recent anti-lockdown protests in China. A YouTuber says he ran a test to see which words will get him demonetized. Here's what he found. In a video posted last week, Taiwanese YouTuber Ba Zhong, who has over 600,000 followers, tested YouTube's demonetization rules. He made a video talking about the anti-lockdown protest that took place in various Chinese cities in late November and tried uploading it using different titles. Let's change the title first. This one is safe. It turned green. I will try with a different title. The trial shows that titles which refer to the protests in certain ways will get demonetized. That means the content creator is unable to get revenue generated from the ads shown during the video. Being demonetized also means the video will be shown to fewer users. Being demonetized will restrict how many people can see this video then there wouldn't be any point for me to make this video. I just hope people can see it. The YouTuber says he tried words like Emperor Xi, which refers to the Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping, and the video got demonetized. He replaced the word with just emperor, and it came out fine.
The problem appears to be with the term Emperor Xi. Let's change it to Emperor. We don't want an emperor. Would it be okay? Yes, emperor works, but it cannot go with Xi. His trail also found that words like white paper movement and various provinces appears to trigger demonetization. The protests in China are also known as the white paper movement because many protesters were holding a blank sheet of white paper. The white paper movement takes place in various provinces. It doesn't work. The problem is with various provinces. Various provinces is not allowed. The YouTuber criticized the platform for allegedly moderating contents related to the Chinese regime. His video has generated over 400,000 views in two days. If this is a Chinese platform, it would make sense, but this is an American company. YouTube, what are you doing? Don't be kidnapped by the ad providers. YouTube needs to stand up. NTD reached out to YouTube for comment, but didn't hear back before broadcast time. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Chinese citizens cannot access YouTube from inside China. The platform is blocked by Beijing's censorship firewall. So why would YouTube bother to filter out keywords? Chinese advertisers constitute a large portion of YouTube's Asian market. President Joe Biden is celebrating a mega semiconductor project in the U.S. He visited a new plant in Arizona Tuesday, operated by the world's biggest chipmaker. Taiwanese microchip maker TSMC is upgrading its investment into the factory to $40 billion, more than triple its plant amount. American manufacturing is back. TSMC is investing $40 billion here in Arizona, the largest foreign investment in the history of this state. Over 10,000 construction jobs and 10,000 high-tech jobs will be created. Some view the Taiwanese chipmaker's $40 billion investment as a big win for Biden's policy over semiconductors production. Early in his presidency, supply chain issues disrupted the U.S. economy. Biden didn't visit TSMC alone. He was joined by Apple CEO Tim Cook, TSMC founder Morris Chang, and the heads of various chipmakers. They attended a tool-in ceremony. That's the symbolic moving of the first equipment onto the shop floor of the new facility. The plant is scheduled to be operational in 2024. TSMC is the world's largest contract chip maker and a major supplier to U.S. hardware manufacturers such as Apple and NVIDIA. TSMC said it will build a second nearby facility set to produce advanced N3 chips by 2026. The model is the world's most advanced chip that can currently be mass-produced. As frustration continues to mount against China's strict COVID-19 policy, scores of university students in the eastern Chinese city of Nanjing gathered to protest Monday night. Here's what happened. Videos released today show large crowds of Nanjing Tech University students on campus. They were chanting slogans and demanding to be allowed to go home. The students can be seen arguing with university representatives and shouting for school leaders to step down. Other videos show a police car arriving on the scene and university officials promising students they would compile their complaints in a file. AFP reported that the protest comes a day after the school announced it would seal off 
campus for five days because of one COVID-19 case. Universities in China have restricted movements for months because of the COVID lockdown. Many require students to apply for permission to leave campus and ban visitors. The Chinese communist regime seems to be reopening its doors to the rest of the world a little. The city of Beijing announced on Tuesday that two major airports have dropped a mandate, the need for departing passengers to show a negative COVID-19 test before entering their terminals. But passengers are still required to scan their health codes on their phones, part of China's contact tracing system, and have their body temperature checked. For those looking to eat at airport restaurants, passengers are still mandated to show a 48-hour negative test. Right now, only a tiny fraction of international flights are running in and out of Beijing. The U.S. may be upping its Taiwan weapons package. That's according to a State Department notice obtained by Bloomberg. It says Washington has proposed an upgrade valued at over $880 million. That's including the sale of up to a hundred of the U.S.'s most advanced Patriot air defense missiles as well as radar and support equipment. The deal isn't classified as a new agreement. Instead, it's an enhancement to a 2010 arms sale to Taiwan. The 2010 package angered Beijing at the time and led China to hold planned military exchanges in cooperation with the U.S. In response to the Bloomberg article, a Chinese state media outlet reported that the U.S. arms sale to Taiwan tramples on one of the cornerstones of the stability of the China-U.S. relations. China has long considered Taiwan its most sensitive issue in its relations with the U.S. A message Chinese leader Xi Jinping reiterated to U.S. President Joe Biden when they met in Bali last month. Though Communist China has never ruled Taiwan, Beijing claims the self-ruled democratic island as its own territory and has threatened to take it over by force, if necessary. Biden said in September that U.S. forces would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. The White House said Monday that the Biden administration is continuing to work with Congress on ways to reinforce deterrence against any changes to Taiwan's status. Former Chinese Communist Party head Jiang Zemin was buried in Beijing on Tuesday, with current leader Xi Jinping presiding over the memorial. Jiang died last Wednesday of leukemia and multiple organ failure at the age of 96. Over 20 years, Jiang ruled China with considerable power. But what kind of leader was he? In June 1989, tanks and soldiers were sent to violently crush a pro-democracy protest in Tiananmen Square. Three months later, Jiang held a foreign press conference on the bloody clampdown. During it, a French reporter asked about a female student who was wounded in the Tiananmen Square massacre. She was then arrested and sent to a prison farm where she was raped three times within a week. Jiang blurted out a shocking response, quote, she deserves it. The bloody clampdown turned out to be the springboard for Jiang's political rise. He's also remembered for a remark about a Hong Kong reporter in his later years ruling China. Beijing are too young, too simple, uh, sometimes naive. That's Jiang's description of her after she asked him if Hong Kong's governor was internally determined by the Chinese Communist Party. Jiang was riled. 
He blamed the reporter, saying, you only want to make big news. Zhao's nearly two-decade tenure was marked by brutal suppression and rampant corruption. He's said to have promised promotions and riches to officials who arrested, tortured, and, quote, eradicated Falun Gong practitioners. Falun Gong is a peaceful meditation practice and has been persecuted in China under Jiang's directive since 1999. Jiang also touted the benefits of what he called everyone making a fortune quietly. A state-sponsored tragedy, countless lives wiped out. For decades, China imposed a now infamous one-child policy. Its toll continues to haunt the country long after it was scrapped. Experts say the policy's brutality peaked under the late former party leader Jiang Zemin. Let's take a closer look. China, the world's most populous country, is facing a demographic crisis as never before, a rapidly aging society and a shrinking labor force. And the culprit, a dire population control scheme known as family planning, or the one-child policy. Officially put in place in 1979, the initiative forced families to stop giving birth after having one child. Violators were subject to hefty fines and compulsory sterilization. As of 2013, over 300 million forced abortions had taken place in China. The one-child policy was the most draconian under Jiang Zemin when some of the heartless and dehumanizing tactics were most frequently implemented. U.S.-based human rights lawyer Chen Guangcheng recalled the CCP's barbaric law enforcement in his hometown in Shandong. The Communist Party was most frantic about reinforcing the one-child policy during Jiang Zemin's reign. Especially in the 1990s, the party sent local squads to the villages. Anyone caught birthing extra kids was tortured and beaten immediately. For example, for families that already had overbirths, they set a time limit for fines of 3,000, 2,000 or 5,000 yuan, which had to be paid within an hour. If they failed to pay, they got beaten up and still had to pay afterwards. On top of that, media censorship reached an all-time high. Chun revealed that in 1992, when Jiang Zemin was in power, the Central Propaganda Department issued an order banning all media outlets from reporting on human rights violations related to the one-child policy. That's including related deaths. The order stayed in place until 2005. Meanwhile, the integrity of the public prosecution system was under assault. The Chinese Communist Party gave orders to the police, prosecutors and courts, barring them from intervening when the party committee imposed violent birth controls. When these issues were reported, no police would be sent. They wouldn't be filed with the courts, and no complaints would be accepted by the prosecutor's office. Beijing moved to a two-child policy in 2016 and then to a three-child policy in 2019, but the birth rate has plummeted five years in a row. In 2021, there were only about seven births per thousand people in China. That birth rate just outnumbered the country's death rate, a seismic low since the party took power in 1949. There are other consequences, a gender imbalance, an aging population, and labor shortages. Chen pointed to what he saw as the most devastating effect of the one-child policy. It had subverted the traditional Chinese philosophy of cherishing human life. Plus, people became desensitized to bloodshed and death. Coming up, the U.S. recently banned Chinese telecom gear company Huawei, but similar restrictions had already been in effect since 2018. So what's the difference? They can't be deployed into government installations, into national, secure, uh, national security uh, kind of locations, can't be deployed around uh, critical infrastructure, but they, uh, they can be deployed everywhere else. 
So I, I have a colleague who is uh, in D.C. for a, a conference on security issues regarding China. And he's in the hotel coming downstairs, meeting with uh, think tanks and government officials and discussing the threat. And as he's in the elevator, he looks up in the corner and there's a Hikvision camera recording everyone who's attending this meeting on their way up and down. Is the U.S. on the right track? We spoke to John Pelson, author of the book Wireless Wars, for his take. Hear his comments after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A ban on Chinese companies. Are there loopholes the Chinese communist regime can take advantages of? And will new rules help close them? John Pelson, author of the book Wireless Wars, explains. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Great being here again, Tiffany. So let's start with these FCC announcement that they're adopting new rules, which is barring certain gear from Chinese companies. So that includes Huawei and ZTE, Hytera, Hikvision and Dahua. So to begin, how significant is this? Well, it's a step in the right direction. It's necessary. It is far from sufficient uh, because what they're really doing is banning certain uses of most of these products, but not even banning them from being sold in the United States or deployed. So uh, Huawei and ZTE seem to get the worst of it, where as far as I can tell, you cannot deploy any further equipment from Huawei or ZTE anywhere in the U.S. into the networks, which, uh, which is pretty good. Now, they've been banned from selling their wireless gear into the telecom networks, but Huawei sells a lot of other wireline equipment. And as far as I can tell, the new ban uh, includes servers and other equipment like that. Yeah, I think in 2018, there was also some rules applied, but there were some loopholes where companies could like get around it with like private funding. So was it a money issue? Like how much money is involved here? Yeah, there, there's, uh, there are loopholes everywhere in this. And uh, it's not, I, I don't think this is a deliberate thing, but it's just so complicated. Uh, you know, America is a free country, so blocking someone from doing business gets very tricky. I mean, even if you talk about Huawei, they uh, they can't sell their handsets in the U.S. anymore, but Honor is a company that was spun off from Huawei, that is the handset business, and you can sell those in the United States. I just checked on Amazon. They're available for sale, and uh, they're not owned by Huawei. They're now owned by the state. Their uh, Shenzhen government owns uh, the Honor handset business, and that is not blocked. Same company, same employees, same technology, not owned by Huawei, owned directly now, effectively by the CCP. So at the consumer level, even Huawei isn't completely blocked. Uh, and although they have set aside funding to rip and replace the Huawei and ZTE wireless gear up in the cell towers, as far as I could find, they have not required people to rip out and replace Huawei servers, which are everywhere in hospitals, universities, and libraries all over the country. And John, I want to get to the Huawei part, but real quick, you were saying so now we can get basically handsets directly from, you know, Chinese state CCP-owned companies, and they're like, oh, this is better than getting them from Huawei. Is that what's happening? 
It, it sure looks that way. Now, keep in mind, just about all the phones are being made in China. Apple, you know, the iPhones are made in China, but they're made under the supervision of a company that has a strong incentive to make sure there's no funny business going on in, in the supply chain as far as uh, security breaches. Now, you're still reliant on China to get your hands on these phones, so there's a, a supply chain problem there. If if China stopped making them, people wouldn't be able to get get the phones at all. But the the problem is with the with the Honor brand, that's still a Chinese-owned company. So you're counting on the state government of Shenzhen to make sure there's no funny business going into those handsets, and uh, those are absolutely not banned because there there is not a blanket ban on Chinese-controlled companies selling into the country. It's just just the named companies, Huawei and ZTE, in, in the telecom space. And John, with your point about the supply chain, I think we're already seeing that with like Apple at the Foxconn assembly sites, where there's already announcements there's going to be delays in the iPhone 14. So with, say, that and then also the FCC rules, do you see maybe an awareness of where we're getting our phones from, even the parts? Yeah, people, people recognize now the reliance that we have on Chinese factories for just about everything. And, and uh, you know, of course, when you get down to the subcomponent level, just about everything's coming out of China. And when you get to the raw materials level for batteries, lithium, cobalt, all the uh, ingredients like that, China's got a strong grip on just about anything electronic that's made anywhere in the world by just about any company. You mentioned earlier that these new rules are a step in the right direction, but what do we really need to implement to make it an actually good thing? Uh, a few companies, including Hikvision and Dawa, are people are saying they're banned in the U.S. Well, they're not really. They can't be deployed into government installations, into national secure, uh, national security uh, kind of locations. Can't be deployed around uh, critical infrastructure, but. They, uh, they can be deployed everywhere else. Uh, they can be used for traffic cameras. They can be used uh, for, for really pervasive surveillance throughout the country, as long as it's not uh, state-managed and uh, kind of civil deployments. Uh, there is also no requirement to rip out the existing Hikvision or Dawa cameras, and there are billions of dollars worth deployed uh, across the world, and it's a huge market, $10 billion annual market in the U.S. for video surveillance. It's going to be $20 billion in another four years. And the top three manufacturers in the U.S., the top three sellers, are Chinese companies. So I, I have a colleague who is uh, in D.C. for a, a conference on security issues regarding China. And he's in the hotel, coming downstairs, meeting with uh, think tanks and government officials, and discussing the threat. And as he's in the elevator, he looks up in the corner and there's a Hikvision camera recording everyone who's attending this meeting on their way up and down. Now, does that mean that uh, someone in Beijing is watching what's happening on that camera? There's really no way of knowing. But boy, if you wanted to hack into uh, an adversary's private meetings, the best way to start is if you're the one making this complex, advanced hardware and software system that's being deployed right into the downtown D.C. hotels. So it seems like we've missed so many goalposts along the way that now to try and solve it, it's such a big issue, right? It's like there's the money issue, there's the infrastructure issue. So with all these things, I guess, how would we go as a country going forward to look at this and make sure this doesn't happen down the road? 
Yeah, so this is where the, the FCC decision is, is really a positive step. And Brendan Carr, who's uh, had a reputation for really stirring things up and uh, kind of running against the current, is now right in the mainstream, and he hasn't changed. It's kind of funny. He's still demanding the things he's been demanding, but now everyone's agreeing with him. And this is unusual to see the commissioners all agreeing. And uh, I think Commissioner, uh, uh, a chairwoman, Rosenworcel, leading really a unified FCC on this. And so the, the good things you're getting here is that future deployments of cameras are not going to include the, the latest and greatest from Chinese-owned manufacturers. You know, you can take out a two-megapixel Dawa traffic camera, and we know that going forward it won't be replaced with a 4K, 40 times zoom, high-resolution surveillance camera because these are now being banned for any of those applications. And, and that's progress. So, you know, as the technology moves forward, hopefully they won't be uh, deploying additional cameras with new great, you know, built-in face recognition software and so on. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.